give us some men who know the truth. And who will declare the truth. And who will stand with Athanasius and Polycarp and Calvin and Luther and Whitfield and Edwards. And who will declare from the housetops that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I'm serious. we going to have some fun today uh-huh. and, ag- and again i say we i'm over here lou's over there hey there and we're here to tell you that the world system has always been broken oh man <laughs> I, I could totally agree with that now in my commitment to being slightly more organized and professional sounding i have one housekeeping item okay so i have to apologize i was told that if i bang on the desk wrong it creates a reverberation that the post-production doesn't get all the way out that I was not aware of. Oh, really? And so that it actually angles more. So with that said... <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> so hopefully that's not too bad. And if that bothers you, I will try not to do it again. But I, you, you know me. I don't have any coffee to sip. So I had to do something aggravating. But <laughs> So that was the first thing. Second thing, in our commitment to organization, we are going to have fun today. 
Um, is there anybody we're not going to offend today with this one? I no, I don't know. <laughs> no, just, just out of morbid curiosity. <laughs> All right, we are. We have an article that makes the case that there is no, I repeat, no evangelical justification for voting for the orange man. Hmm. He who shall not be named. <laughs> he who shall not be named. <laughs> or as someone on social media puts it, el hombre naranja. 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 There, yeah. I couldn't get that second in there. Naranja. Yeah. El hombre naranja. Yes, the, the man orange. So <laughs> That's good. <sighs> so yes, there is a there is a non-evangelical case for Trump. So, all right. Disclaimers, okay? I don't care who you voted for. Mm-hmm. I don't care why you voted, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm not your priest, because we're not Catholic. Jesus is your priest. Oh, this two-for-one special. So there's there's one offensive thing, right? I thought I'd mark my little checklist right here. <laughs> yeah, I can see this imaginary checklist. <laughs> it's it's going to be in here today. So I, I, that's not my concern. My concern is understanding the worldview behind things. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the things that we've always tried to do, is get behind the understanding. We don't want to just see the problem. Like, Take the um, oh my brain doesn't want to work. Um, the the drag evangelist, which the fact oh. that that's a word, I'm never letting this go. We're gonna constantly come back to that story. I, I mean, I've shared time. that article with so many of my family members, and they're just like, "Well, what do you mean you have a podcast? I and mean, you're talking about this or that?" And I said, "You got read this article and tell me if you wouldn't want to talk about something like that." <laughs> and then I refer them to the website. There you but, go. That's always worthwhile. So, but take the drag evangelist for for example. Is that weird? Yes. Is that evil? Yes. Mm-hmm. But there is a worldview that is attacking a biblical Christian's understanding of the world around it. Right. We want to understand what that is so we can see how they're trying to undermine the faith so that we can defend it and shore up our faith. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, the primary aspect here's, – okay, here's number two. You ready? All right. The primary goal of apologetics is not converting the lost. It is strengthening the faithful. We try to use it like a shotgun against the unbeliever. But at the end of the day, the vast majority of apologetic work is undergirding and strengthening your faith so that you can stand toe-to-toe in the realm of ideas and preach the gospel. It is the gospel message of Christ that converts sinners, not your apologetic. Your apologetic is what allows you to get to the gospel of Christ. Isn't isn't that kind of the, the idea behind discipling, though? Mm-hmm. Is to to get behind the idea to always you know to prepare people to always have a reason for yes. the yes, hope yes. that they have. Yes, yes, yes. Because yeah. by doing that, now I don't have fear or trepidation when right. going out into the marketplace of ideas. So as we evaluate these things, this is not a well. It's a stupid reason. Why? Mm-hmm. Why is it a stupid reason? Well, it's just a stupid argument. Why is it a stupid argument? Yeah. It doesn't do you any good to dismiss everything in life out of hand. Right. You, you just live in the echo chamber. So exactly. we're going to get to that article kind of talking about the now not yet of life, and we're going to do it in light of Matthew chapter 7. One okay? of my favorite chapters, but I tell you, the, the passages we're going to read, I mean, it, it keeps you up at night because and when, you, <laughs> when you think about the implications of what Christ is saying here, it's like, wow. I mean, we really have to be true to the, our faith. Yes. We can't just give lip service. Agreed. Yeah. Now, I don't know. We've probably handled this passage before, I think. Yeah, I don't remember when. And I don't either. So yeah. it doesn't matter. We're going to do it again. Let's do it. <laughs> We're just going to do it again. All right. So we are at the tail end of Matthew chapter 7. We are 
if you are at the tail end of Matthew chapter 7, you are winding down the Sermon on the Mount. So you've had the Beatitudes, you've had the standard of the law expanded. It's sin is not outside of you, sin is inside of you. Mm-hmm. You're called to walk in holiness and faithfulness. You're called to trust. You're called to not live as the world lives or live for the approval of the world, but to live for God and for his approval. Um, let me see, what else have we missed? Understandings about walking in this life as opposed to spiritual blessings for your trust in God as opposed to walking in anxiety. Uh, your golden rule has come in, the standards by which you judge and how you make determinations in the world, which would be very important for making sure deal. you don't do the chapter 6 living according to the world. So all of these things building upon each other. <clears throat> and then following up the narrow and wide gates, you have this warning about the world in which you live. And that starts in verse 15. Yes. So, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So, Right off the bat, there are some things that you now know about the world around you. There are going to be people claiming to be part of the church who are not. They are going to look like the church. These are Paul's talks. Uh, Paul talking about the. Um, yes, Paul, right? My brain just stopped. The, um, or even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Yeah, that. Wait a minute. Someone. I'm not Googling it right now. Yeah. <laughs> Lou's like, I'm on it. (laughs) You've got keyboards. Yeah. (laughs) I could check it on this computer here, but that would might mess up the recording and that scares me sometimes. And so the fact that this works so well, I try to leave it alone. So the uh, same idea. This has always been the reality. There are going to be false prophets. Something tells me it's in Corinthians somewhere. My brain is just telling. Uh, yeah, Second Corinthians See, eleven. Bam, bam. <laughs> eleven fourteen. You I'm did not, it. I'm not banging the table. There you go. So <laughs> yeah. break my arm, patting myself on the back. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, Paul builds out on the same idea. There are going to be people who are, who are trying to look like the church, trying to look like the faithful believer, but are emissaries of Satan. They are ravenous wolves disguised as sheep. So think the coyote from Warner Brothers. Where Sam the sheepdog has got to root him out from getting the critters. Love those cartoons. Yeah, those are that awesome. sheepdog was always pounding the coyote. Yeah, see, he deserved every bit of it. Yep. So you will know them by their fruits. So how will you know? This is one of the reasons why um, Hebrews 10 makes this point. Why Paul has so many one another's in his writings. Why Peter encourages the faithful to walk together and to evaluate rightly and to live in this world in Christ. Because at the end of the day, you have to be a part of a community that is an actual community. Mm. Over time, where are fruits born out? See, this is one of those things. You ready? This is the dirty little secret about fruit trees. You ready? Okay. You don't plant them this year and get fruit next year. Right. It's, yeah. Yeah. You, you have to wait several years in if some cases. Never yeah. planted fruit trees. I know peach trees are like this. Um, apple trees are like this. As far as I know, figs are like this. Yeah. Um, you, you plant them, and it's two to three years before you actually receive a crop that is air quotes market worthy. That's a patient process. You take time to examine fruit. Yep. And in many instances, commercial in, um, commercial production, they will begin to receive fruit in the second or third year that they can't market because the tree is just mature enough to produce, and therefore most of that just gets discarded because it's not market worthy. So even then you have to do some evaluating. So th- in an agricultural society, they would get this, that there's fruit being produced. You have to now go what? Examine it. And that, that new tree you have to look at over time. You plant this tree knowing that this tree is not going to be worth my investment until year five, six, and seven down the road. Yeah. And I have to be patient. For sure. Great analogy. The same is true for the Christian life. 
You have to be patient. You have to walk over time. This is why one of the worst statistics LifeWay has ever shared is the average uh, pastoral tenure in a church is like three and a half to four years. Really? It's like right around the time you start getting to know people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How long have you been here? <laughs> I'm coming up on five, actually. Oh, we've already beat the odds then. Say, yeah, go team. Go team. We're skewing the average. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, actually, what is it, August? Yeah, next month will mark, uh, finishing up next month would mark five years. Okay. So you need that, though, because otherwise you don't really know the person. You don't really know the people. How do you know anything about them until you've met the family, you've had dinner with somebody, you've seen them out in public, you you watched them lose their mind at a JCPenney. Does JCPenney still exist? I don't know, but it brings back memories when you bring that up. Uh, my my grandmother, we used to we used to take the bus downtown to Rock in Rockford when there there used to be a J.C. Penney's down there. We used to go there all the time. But yeah, yeah. If you don't know what a J.C. Penney is, think um, Macy's, uh, mm-hmm. a lower quality Nordstrom type of a store. Your standard d- d- uh, middle of the road department store. Yeah. Kind of like the modern day Kohl's or. Um, they used to produce such cool catalogs. I mean, oh yeah. we used to just. Go through the catalogs and oh, I want this and I want that. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, you, you, until you've seen them like beat their kids in the corner section of Macy's, you don't really know what kind of person they are. Right. Oh, they went with the overhand technique. Oh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I would have gone under. He's got great there. backhand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't beat your children. All right. Disclaimers. <laughs> now, this is why this matters. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? This is a rhetorical question. The obvious answer would be, no. well, no, Jesus, no, they're not. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. So in other words, that fruit tree that you planted three years ago, how do you know if it's any good? How do you know if the roots took? How do you know if it's a quality tree? Mm-hmm. Well, it's what kind of fruit is fruit. it producing? Mm-hmm. And you're looking at it going, well, it's producing pretty crummy fruit. Okay, this is year three. This is the first year you should really be starting to get something. So now you have to look at it. Is the tree getting water? Is the tree healthy? Does it look good? You have to make some determinations because now you'd have to look at it and say, okay, well, now we got to give it a year. Because if the tree looks good but the fruit doesn't, well, maybe it's just an off year, something bad's going on. You don't judge it by everything going on right there. Now we'll look next year. Now next year, tree still producing horrendous fruit. Looks good, still producing horrendous fruit. Something's wrong with this tree. Something's wrong on the inside. Something's wrong with the root system. It looks beautiful on the outside, but something is rotten in the state of Denmark. Okay? Agreed. The same thing in the Christian life. You look at somebody and go, man, they beat their kids in Macy's. That's terrible. Okay, was this a bad day? Look, I'm not excusing the behavior, but was this a bad day? Did the kid deserve it? No, I'm kidding, kidding, <laughs> kidding. Yeah, to the checklist right there. Another <laughs> one. <laughs> damn, 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 sorry. <laughs> Add to the list, but was this an offhand? Let, well, let's look, because everything else looks fine, so let's just keep evaluating. Let's ask some questions. Let's talk about this. Let's figure this out. Now, if you start seeing a pattern of behavior where everything looks good on the outside, but there's some questions... Well, is it just distinctly possible that what is on the outside isn't what actually is present on the inside? Always remember, the Christian life is not a fake it till you make it. It is an inward change leading to an outward reality. That's important because over time, if the inward change has not occurred, the outward reality will break down. You can only pretend for so long. It will eventually catch up to you. Very true. Very true. So, Jesus continues. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. So this is a warning. Mm -hmm. If you're not producing any good fruit, that doesn't mean your fruit was bad, you're bad. It means 
your fruit was bad because you are bad. That is why you are cut down and thrown into the fire. You are not in right relationship with God. Therefore, you are incapable of producing good fruit. Therefore, your sins have not been forgiven. The judgment of God abides, God, judgment of God abides upon you. You, you might want to do something about that. <laughs> you might want to repent and believe in the gospel. Right. That's the warning. Always remember, this is start from the inside out. The true, the fruit is what you can see. How do you know the roots were rotten in the core? And the core of the tree was corrupt, because it never produced any good fruit. No rotted, rotten rooted tree could ever produce good fruit. Say that fast three times. Yeah, rot, rotted root, rotted root, Therefore. Because you don't know the heart, you have to look at what it's producing. Right. How often? Over time. This is another one of the parables. Tree's not producing anything. What's the owner want to do? Cut them all down and start all over. What does the worker say? Oh, let me dig around the roots. Let me add some good soil. Let me fertilize. Let me water. Give me some time and let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. In other words, let's do the work. Let's evaluate. Let's ask the questions. This is partially how church discipline would look. That's the, the loving metaphor of what church discipline would look like. It's coming to the person saying, brother, you can't live like this. Brother, this is wrong. You need to repent. You need to return to God to produce the good fruit that he is working in you, John 15. You need to do this work of returning so that God can redeem you. This is important. You can't live like this. Right. That's what it would look like to add the fertilizer to bring the irrigation. Now, when the master comes back the next year and the tree still doesn't produce anything after all that loving care, what happens to it? It cut down, it put it in the fire. Gone. Yep. Treat him like an unbeliever. Mm-hmm. You have hardened your heart. You have refused to return to God. You have refused to repent. Therefore, the judgment abides upon you. Your roots are rotten. This is the same analogy moving forward. So, that's the first half of this. So, let's, let's recap real quick. Real, real quack, real quick. If I could speak English, you would think I talked for a, a lot of tongue tying going I'm on here. You. Yeah, I, I, you know what I blame for it? Mm. So it's rotten roots. <laughs> exactly. Oh, here we go. The rotten roots of Rotterdam <laughs> have have reared their. I, I'm out of our words. Sorry, I tried. <laughs> They've reared a Rorschach. I, I have no idea. <laughs> mm. All right. So recap here. When looking at the Christian community, be careful. Check yourself, evaluate the life of the people around you because it is by seeing the life, the sanctification that is produced by the Holy Spirit that you will know the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is by evaluating the world that you are living in that you will see what the core of the people you are living with truly is. Mm -hmm. And that there are going to be people who look beautiful on the outside. But inward are uh, whitewashed tombs. tombs. I I beat you to it. I saw the wheels turning. Yeah. And, 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 and the Bible also says that we speak out of the abundance of our heart, right? Um, out of the mouth. Yep. So when, when you see somebody who professes to be one thing, but yet you hear certain things or you see certain things in their life, you can tell what's going on. Exactly. And that's how you evaluate and, his fruit or her fruit. And that becomes important. Now, let's get to the second half of this. Right. This is the part that kept me up. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Now stop. So again, there are people running around claiming to be Christians. Look beautiful on the outside. Inward, rotten roots. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to keep coming back to that because I'm almost capable of saying it quickly. (laughs) Rotted roots. Therefore, they are either self-deceived or they are attempting to deceive you. What's the will of the Father who is in heaven? 
that you would be saved. Yes. That you would be sanctified. Right. And that you would be walking in righteousness according to his planning. Right. If you are failing to do that, you are not living according to the will of God. You are living according to the will of yourself, right. the will of your idols, something else. You are serving mammon and not God. You are serving some other thing. Yeah. So because of the first half of this, you are not redeemed. Your core is broken. Therefore, over time, the fruit will demonstrate itself to be rotten. Regardless of what you claim about yourself, the truth is you are not walking in godliness because you are not redeemed. You need to repent and trust in the works of Christ. One thing that comes to my mind is uh, when they came to him and called him Lord, and he's like, why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's another example yes. of what you're talking about, and that's how people are. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name cast out demons? In your name perform many miracles? Wow. That's a list, isn't it? What an indictment. But once again, what is it? Um, Janus and Jambres, the mm -hmm. magicians of, right. um, of Pharaoh? Right, right. Look, look, look. Our staff can turn into a snake, too. Look, look, look. We can make frogs. That's always my favorite thing. I know it. Here we go. I'm, I, I'm never letting this go. I know I'm not it, on this tangent. It's a good point, though. But I can't let this go until the day I die. Mm -hmm. This is one of those people always like that, like questions I want to ask God. I want to ask God this question. What in tarnation were these two nitwits thinking? Right. I mean, Moses has shown up. His serpent staff thingamabob ate all of yours. Then he turned the water into blood. And you're like, oh, yeah, we can do that, too. You idiot. How about you turn the bloody water back into regular water yeah. so we can drink it right. instead of making more water that we can't drink? Good job. And then Moses comes along and, like, waves his staff and frogs come out of the Nile. And there's frogs everywhere. And they're like, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? Watch this. Bam! Frogs. More frogs. What, what is wrong with you? Why don't you do some bibbidi-bobbidi-boo that gets rid of the frogs? Right. They weren't thinking that ahead. That would have been helpful. Yeah. That would have demonstrated real power. Now, granted, that's the reason they didn't do it. That's the point. Because yeah. they, that would have demonstrated real power, and they had no real power. But I, what would – see, I'm a, I'm an amateur sociologist at heart. Okay. Like, I had way too much fun in my sociology classes in college. And that's why I like one of my favorite things to do is like at Christmas time go to the mall and just watch people because I spend my entire time like what do they think they're accomplishing? It's like when people do things that are weird that don't make sense to me, it drives me insane and that drives my wife insane because I talk to her about it. Yeah. I'd be like, what do you think they were trying to do? Like what do you think they were thought they were going to because my assumption is people do things for a reason. So when Janice and Jambres come before Pharaoh, they're like, What was the plan? Moses made all these frogs. Here's what we're going to do. Gonna They're not good down. at improvisation. I mean, let's let's make more frogs. And that will accomplish what? <laughs> See, that that's that's always been my thing. Like, what what was the plan? What would there right. had to be a plan? What yeah. was it? I'm right. dying. <laughs> right. Makes no sense. I mean, on one hand, you think, well, maybe they're just showing that they can do it too and that yeah, but Moses if, wasn't that special, and things he was doing wasn't that special. But we all know, according to the narrative, that the, it got to the point where they couldn't reproduce it, and they recognized the finger oh, of God. You know, but what is it, man? Like we're inundated with frogs, so let's make more frogs. Yeah, I know it. It makes no sense. Like, like, just see. I always like this is like when you see bad ad campaigns, you realize that somebody had to come up with this idea. They had to tell another human being this idea, and another human being had to go, that's a good idea. And then they had to present this idea in front of lots of people who have lots of money and have successful businesses and like can do good things. And they all heard this terrible idea and went, 
that's a good idea. It's a good idea. And then other people like did the good idea and they all agreed with it. And then you're like, by the time you're all said and done, you see this stupid commercial on TV. You're like, like 500 people had to think this was a good idea. Stop the world. I want to get off. <laughs> right. See, it's the same thing. With the, the, these are the things that I wonder. So, so when you read miracles there, all that just to tell you this. <laughs> when you read miracles there, that's the type of thing we're talking about. The bippity boppity boo of life. The I don't want to say satanic magic. The work of Simon Magus, though, in Acts. These are the types of things. And then claiming it in the name of God. And this has been seen down through history. That's a heck of a list. Right. And yet, because their hearts are not changed, Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Because always remember, those are the two sides of the coin here. There's not a person who's in, a person who's out, and then a person who's really, really trying, but you know, just can't quite make it. You're either in or you are an enemy of God. You are actively, if you are not practicing righteousness because of the work of the Holy Spirit in you, then you are actively practicing lawlessness. lawlessness. You are indulging in sin and idolatry. Antinobianism. So let's summarize this. Yeah. There have been people who are deceiving seeking actively to lead you astray, they will be judged. There are people who are deceived, who think they're living righteously, who inwardly are rotten to the core, and they too will be judged. Now I point that out because in the church, if you pay attention long enough, you will end up seeing both of those people. For sure. If you, if you stick around long enough. And this is again one of the reasons why sticking around long enough in church is a good thing. Because this is how sanctification gets worked out in the community. And this is important because, again, all right, this is where we're going to make the switch and we're going to start making our checklist go again, all right? Okay. Define righteousness in good works. Define it? Oh, yes. Well, the Word of God defines it for us. Now. And, and, and the witness of Christ defines it for us. So that's a place to start. Now, this should be an objective standard, not a subjective standard. Exactly. Now, the minute it becomes a subjective standard, I think you have clearly landed in the realm of hadiophora, the things that are neither commanded nor forbidden, which means you are now subject to your conscience guided by the Holy Spirit. Okay? That is not a comfortable place for a lot of people because what ends up happening is you get there— you make a determination that you think is right for you. And because that is the thing that is right for you, that is where your conscience is clear and you are comfortable living, you demand, typically, that everyone else must align to that standard as well. You ever wonder why churches can fight over carpet and like what color to paint the walls and what kind of music to play in church? Well, I've, I've been in a church with the music, but I've never been a part of a congregation that fought over the paint and the carpet, although I do recognize that I that have, happens. I've seen a right. church fight over paint. Yeah. It's not pretty. Yeah. Now, what happens? They get a preference. They determine that that thing is best. They probably have very good reasons. They then determine that those reasons are the only possible answer to the question, and the question at its core is not that big a deal. It's, it's really not. And that becomes the breakdown. Mm -hmm. And what happens is, again, we make our subjective standard the objective standard, and we disallow any other possibility. So if you'd like a good example of this, this is why 
Um, I know there's different ways to phrase this. I think it was Al Mohler that coined the uh, this the theological triage. triage. Mm-hmm. So like things like understanding the divinity of Christ, the deity of Christ. That's a first level issue. That's not a subjective thing. That is how scripture presents Jesus to misunderstand him as the second person of the Trinity is to not understand Jesus. And second John tells you, if you don't understand Jesus right, you don't have salvation because you don't have the father. Right. However, if you want to even get to me on the mode of baptism, that's like second level issue all day long. I disagree with you. I have valid reasons why I disagree with you. You have valid reasons why you disagree with me. At the end of the day, I have to say, this is not a gospel definite, a definitional issue for the gospel. And while I disagree with you and think you are wrong, I have to acknowledge that you can actually live a sanctified life right. and be wrong in this thing. Well, and, that and there's no reason to divide, right? Well, practically, you're going to end up dividing because usually you're going to drive each other nuts if you don't. But... You shouldn't have to divide in the kingdom for well, that. Second and third order uh, issues are usually not things that you want to divide a, church, a congregation up second, over. But second, I think second level issues are where you start to see denominationalism. Like if perhaps, you, if you're yeah. you're like going to drive your, yeah, versus, you're going to drive yourself nuts if yeah. you've got believers baptism versus pedo baptism. You're going to drive each other absolutely crazy. And even at the level of the difference between pedo baptism and infant baptism because there's a there's a fine line there you're going to drive each other nuts at that level and that's why you see the difference between like methodists and lutherans and um presbyterians right because presbyterians and lutherans should have almost no disagreement with each other and yet and yet well <laughs> i mean the yeah. orthodox ones i'm not talking about the the crazy rainbow brigade ones oh yeah click click, click. another one Another so, one bites the dust. You know, eschatology, I think, would be a good level, of a good example of a third-level issue because that shouldn't divide a congregation. Like, if you have a different understanding of eschatology, you should still be able to stay in a church and not drive everyone crazy. Um, Bible translation, I actually think, falls into, like, a third-level issue. For you sure. should be able to look at your pastor and go, I don't like that translation the best. I like this translation better. And not have it drive you nuts. I mean, unless he's using the message. That's not a Bible. That's a commentary. <laughs> That's a different discussion. But, but there you go. Um, That's funny. Another one on that level is what we're going to talk about next, voting. Hmm. I have an opinion. I expect a lot of people have an opinion. I'm sure. Um, I was pastoring a church in um, 2012 and doing a a Bible study on a Saturday, and it was about October. And somebody asked a question about the election and and kind of went through some different things. So if you're not familiar with American politics, um, (laughs) uh, 2012 was Obama-Romney. And so they flat out, somebody flat out told me, well, typically in the past, our pastors just kind of told us who we should vote for. Ouch. I'm like, that's terrible. Let me, I have somebody I think you should vote for, but that's terrible. That's a misappropriation of what I'm doing in a pulpit. So walk through everything. Obama was a universalist who claimed to be a Christian. That's, to my mind, that's a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Romney was a Mormon who claimed to be a Christian. That's also a wolf in sheep's clothing. So I flat out told them, you don't have a Christian candidate. You have two people that are trying to claim the mantle because they think it's good for them with a certain demographic. But at the end of the day, you don't have an Orthodox Christian on either side. You know, you could look at Romney and say, well, you know, he's got the four kids and blah, blah, blah. Well, okay, Obama's got two daughters and they haven't, like, shot anybody. And apparently they're not robbing liquor stores, so he's apparently a good husband and a good father. So you can't – at the end of the day, you've got two family men who are unbelievers. 
which means you need to now look at second and third level issues and decide who you think would be the best person to manage the office they're being put in. So, right there you go. And, and, and represent the majority of the views that people might have in our country. So, yeah, at, at, I mean, flat out, at that point, you're basically, you're not voting on a moral ground, you're voting on a functional ground. It's, um, it's Luther's old quip that I'd rather be ruled by a competent Turk than an incompetent Christian. <laughs> oh, he said that, huh? I think that's a Luther. Mm. Someone will tell me if that's not. So in 2012, I think you got to that place. So in 2016, I think you could make the same calculus. Right. You had Hillary, who maybe once upon a time claimed to be a Methodist or something, but is clearly, based on her life, not anything in resembling Christian character. You had Trump, who was cozying up to the religious right, but in no shape, form, or fashion was he. Yeah, I don't think he really he, gave it a, a second thought. I mean, his... It wasn't a concern. Yeah. Both of them have broken family histories. Mm -hmm. Both of them have questionable moral pasts. For sure. So at the end of the day, who did you think is the best manager for the office? And if you can't in good conscience vote for either one of them, Romney or Obama, uh, full disclosure, I don't think I voted in 2012. So um, if you couldn't vote for either Trump or Hillary, I... Right. I can see the argument that you're making on both sides of the of, of the aisle. I mean, if you can look at me and say, well, I couldn't trust Hillary because I don't think she'd do anything she said she was going to do. I respect that. I don't trust Trump. I don't think he's going to do anything he said he's going to do. I can respect that too. Sure. I mean, I could understand you making the argument. So w the reason I'm pointing all of this out, so let's mark off all my offensive lines right here. The reason I'm pointing all of this out is because there is a danger in looking at someone and going, you didn't support the guy I supported. How dare you? That makes you not Christian. Here's why you must have done this. Right. See, this is why I forever get myself tied in knots and my wife hates me because I look at people doing things that look weird to me and go, I wonder why they're doing that. Right. I, I because, mean, I often wonder why also. You're I mean, doing it, it for it, a reason. You're right. expecting to accomplish something. I might not but, like the reasons you do it, but, here's but at least you should I have, have no some. no idea what yeah. they are, mm -hmm. but it's endlessly fascinating to me to think about it and try to figure it out. And it drives right. my wife insane because she's like, why do you care? I'm like, well, at the end of the day, I don't care, but I'm curious. Well, one of the questions that come across my mind is – Let's say we we elected a president that was a Christian man, a good Christian man, who Jimmy followed, Carter. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, everybody goes it. to that, but I he couldn't help it. Right, no, he's liberal Christian, right. Christian in name only. But does that make our nation Christian just because we no. have a Christian president? No, you could argue it's one of the worst presidencies of the 20th century. Right. So I, I guess you know when you look at our country, yes, it was founded on some Christian values, but is it a Christian nation? No. In this area, I said, is it, is it founded on Christian principles? Yes. yes. It, does it assume a Christian foundation? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Does it make it a Christian nation? No. 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 And that becomes the difficulty. We're not Israel. Right. Now, the reason why this becomes important is it's very dangerous. Because like, like, like my crazy example, like the person doing the weird thing, I may try to figure out what it is, but I can never assume this is why you did X, Y, and Z. I right. mean, this explains road rage. The reason why people get road rage is what ends up happening is someone does something stupid on the highway. They cut you off. They drift into your lane. They run the red light, whatever it is. And you start thinking, why did they do that to me? Yeah. Like, why did you cut me off? Why did you? You're picking a fight? Right. It wasn't about you. Yeah. They didn't see you. They didn't assume you were there. They were picking their teeth. They were eating a bowl of cereal, reading a romance novel. There's 15 other things they were doing, none of which involved you. Yeah. Now, did that decision affect you? Yes. But were you a consideration in the decision? No. 
we get very myopic very quickly. And part of, I think, Christian wisdom is understanding that the world is not built to serve me and the world is not built around me. But rather, I am now in Christ fitted for the kingdom. And therefore, I need to evaluate my motivations and assume that other people are doing what other people do, which is sin. Mm-hmm. They're being selfish and idolatrous and not paying attention to those around them. That's why one of the commands is loving your neighbor. Right. Because in and of yourself, you don't. Right. You don't care about your neighbor. And you, and you can't ignore them. You're and you're not under capable. Sin. Yep. So be very careful of assigning motivation. And that is where this little article comes in. Because I think that's the danger. So here we go. One of the most amusing recurring conversations of the last six years is the omnipresent effort to explain to me why Christians support Donald Trump. As if I need tweet threads or pointed essays to explain to me my own friends, many members of my family, and my own church and neighborhood. I understood perfectly well then. I understand perfectly well now. Well, aren't you special? Yeah. <clears throat> For those of you who don't know, this is David French, and I know in the in the Christian right and in the political right there is a love-hate relationship with david french okay some people hate him some people love him some people love to hate him <laughs> and he is eminently hateable on occasion so yeah there... this is one of, uh, this is i think the first article i think i've oh, read of his have you ever heard people talk about how drag queen story hour is a blessing of liberty uh-huh. no david french wrote that article oh my and explained how it's a part of living in a free society <laughs> so just so you know But there is a key difference between then and now. Now we've seen who he is. We know his impact on our nation, and we've seen his influence on the church. This isn't the 2016 primary. It's not the 2016 or 2020 general elections. There is no more binary choice, and what was once a hypothetical presidency was all too real. From the beginning of the Trump era, there was only one pro-Trump argument that gave me pause, and it wasn't the rationalization that he fights. The idea that the Democratic alternatives were so bad or that white working class was so disrespected that the Trumpian middle finger to the establishment was justified or wise was never morally serious Mm. see you've already decided that anyone who has disagreed with you is evil and sinning right this is a subjective choice right now full disclosure in 2016 by the way i'm a registered independent i can't vote in any of the primaries but if you would ask me in 2016 i thought there were about seven or eight candidates who were better suited to the job than trump in the republican primary none of them won I actually thought there were two candidates better suited in the Democratic primary than Hillary. They didn't win either. If you ever want to have a good laugh, go look at the first Democratic debate in 2016 with um, Jim Webb, who's a Vietnam veteran. And he stood up there. Jim Webb is an old school classic liberal Democrat. So think about like um, – oh, I'm trying to think of an example, and I can't – I literally cannot come up with one on the top of my head. Think more like before Harry Reid even. Okay. Like like what Democrats would have been, like a Walter Mondale Democrat right. type of guy. Vietnam veteran, you know, is a social liberal but doesn't want to burn the country to the ground like Bernie Sanders does. And he sat up there for like two hours during this debate with Bernie Sanders and that dude from Maryland whose name I can never remember and Hillary and somebody else. And like half the night he had this look on his face like – what is wrong with what you? Is, yeah, well, like, what he was like, seriously, he was R.C. Sproul. Like, seriously? I thought I was killing communists in Vietnam, and here you are. Yeah. <laughs> and so at the end of the debate, they asked him, like, what's your proudest moment or something? I can't remember the exact question. Go look it up. It's on YouTube. But it was somewhere along the lines, like, what's your proudest moment as a politician or something like that? And Hillary's was some, you know, weird, like, I wrote a book and people loved me. And Bernie Sanders was like, I fought for some bill. And Jim Webbs was like, there was a Viet Cong who came into our village and he tried to kill me and I killed him first. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> it was all of, I strangled him with my bare hands and I felt like a man. <laughs> 
and that when he like, like go look it up. It's not quite that brutal, but it's close. Man. Like it's as politically correct that brutality as you can get. And like you can see like the the moderator is like, "Are you okay, dude?" <laughs> mm-hmm. And like the dude from Maryland's on the other side of the stage is like, "Yeah, right." I'm not next to him, am I? <laughs> yeah, I better watch what I say here. Yeah, like this dude could like break me. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's my favorite political weird moment of all time. But anyway, <clears throat> so but what ends up happening is. You ended up with two terrible candidates, in my opinion. I couldn't. I didn't vote for Trump in 16. I did vote for him in 20, and part of the reason I did was because his presidency, outside of the COVID stuff, was actually not that bad. I thought so, too. He. I, the reason I couldn't vote for him in 2016 is I thought he was a liar and a scumbag because of his past history with multiple wives and multiple businesses and all of that, and I didn't trust a thing he said. Well, he actually did better than I thought he did, and I thought Biden would be a train wreck, but, and that's my decision to make. Right. Now, none of that is a, he fights, and he's going to give a middle finger to the Democrats, and this is a, I don't think he's a moral Christian, but at the same time, I don't also think he's managing the country into a destructive abyss. Right. Therefore, I can vote for him with a pretty clear conscience because I'm voting for an administrator. That's my hope. Right. I mean, I, there. the way I see it is there are people that are alive today that remember our country, and they look around today, and they are like, I don't recognize my country anymore. Agreed. And they want to see it return back to some of the values that, that they held Agreed. to. Agreed. And so I think that's what what people are attracted to in the Make America Great thing again. Agreed. And whether he's capable of doing that or not, um, I don't know. He, he, Once again, he did, agreed. He, he worked really hard his first presidency. I was I respected that. I was I was like you. I wasn't sure. I didn't believe a lot of what he said. Um, I voted for him the first time and the second time, but it wasn't because I, I trusted or believed everything that he said. I I just I I don't know. I'm only 52 years old, but I've been around long enough to know that this country used to be better than it is today, and I want to see it get back to that. And I understand that rationale completely. And if you think that he's an avatar for that, that's not a moral calculation. That's a a national, I have to live here, and I'd like this place to be here for my grandkids or rationalization. And I get that. Once again, so are you looking at me and saying that the country could actually be managed by a guy whose personal life is a little bit tragic? It is. Well, yeah. yeah. Of course. And I have no issues with that. And and again, this this is one of the reasons, this is one of the things I was just talking about with Bill Clinton. Was added to the list. Is that part of the reason I think both Bill Clinton and Barack Obama won two elections and won them fairly easily? Is because at the end of the day they were likable. Right. Exactly. I mean, you, you could sit. You could see yourself sitting down eating chicken wings, watching a basketball game with Obama. Yeah. You could. Sit he actually down, came to the college where he, I worked, and and, and I, I I sat down and listened to what he had to but, say. But I mean, like you could you could see yourself watching the March Madness tournament, eating a bucket of chicken wings, yelling yeah. at the stupid official, and and he'd be right there with you. Yeah, we'd have a good time. You could see yourself with a bucket of chicken wings watching a Saturday afternoon college football game, and Bill Clinton yelling at the guy for dropping a pass. Like you could see that that, that you could it, it, people liked that. Was that a moral calculation? No. no. Now is that a good reason to vote for somebody? No. Also no. But notice how I'm not assuming they're automatically evil because of which ballot box they pulled. This is the danger of politics becoming all-consuming, right. is that it rots you. And that's why, okay, because we we're running a little late, but we're doing okay. But here's an argument. I'm sorry. If yep. the early church was admonished to love its enemies, bless those who persecute them, and exhibit the fruit of the Spirit even when they're being persecuted and massacred, no arguments here, it's just hard for me to believe the threat of Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden was so great that it justified the lies and cruelty inherent in Trumpian political engagement. 
Do, do you just see the yeah. do you just see the bridge we've run over? Yes. So yes. because the early church was being killed and having their fingernails ripped out with by pliers, and you're not, you have no right to wish for a longing of what you consider to be better things. Right. Therefore, Hillary and Biden aren't that bad because they're not literally Nero. This is like that joke about online engagement where well, someone's eventually going to go, it's literal Hitler. Yeah. It's, David French just went literal Nero. Yeah. They're not Domitian, so what are you complaining about? <laughs> <laughs> and seriously, that's basically what yeah, you just said. Right. Yeah, I, I took exception with that paragraph as well because, you know, it it, it also implies that that Hillary or or Biden, they're not guilty of, of being a liar or, or, or doing things that were cruel. But see, this is where the underlying worldview becomes so important. Right. Let's summarize this paragraph, and I think tell, tell me if you think this is a fair summary of that okay. paragraph. You ready? Okay. They're not literal, uh, literal Nero. Therefore, how dare you surrender your principles to vote for Trump? Right. Is that a fair summary? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what's the problem with the worldview? So you have assumed that I surrendered a principle right. to vote for Trump. Right. See, this is what happens when your preference, your understanding of secondary, tertiary, quaternary, quintiary, you're nice. right now, yeah, I am. <laughs> when your understanding of those issues become primary and they become the objective standard. If you here's make I'm preemptively making my mark. If you want to know what this looks like in theology, go listen to people who are KJV only make their arguments. And the assumption is the cage the King James standard, the King James Bible is the standard. And we judge everything else against it so that if your Bible disagrees with the King James translation, then that translation is wrong. That's not this King James isn't the standard though. The Greek text is the standard and the faithful translation into modern language is the standard for how yeah. we judge a translation. Some so, would argue that it's been re-inspired oh, in the I know, King James. And that's, it's but that's an a interesting argument. But. What they're saying though is that the King James is the standard and we judge that. Well, that's circular because you're now starting with the thing we're arguing over. Right. Same thing here. Mm-hmm. I have determined that voting for Trump is immoral. You voted for Trump, therefore it's immoral. Well, you know, we're arguing about whether or not voting for Trump is immoral and if there can be a case. So you've just – you've started with a conclusion. Right. And then you didn't even argue backwards. You just argued right back to your conclusion. So you started with a conclusion. You stated it, and then you told me I'm wrong for disagreeing with you. They're starting with an ad hominem. Yeah. You know, they're attacking the character of something. Circular ad hominem argumentation. Right. That, that wow. Band name. <laughs> band name. That should, that should be a worship band. Yeah. That, I'm serious. Oh. They can open for third day. <laughs> But here's an argument that's morally serious, especially in both general elections. If one candidate is going to win, shouldn't you vote for the one you believe in good faith will do the least harm to the nation, even if that person has profound flaws? This was the lesser evil or hold-your-nose-and-vote position. There are people I respect who made this choice both times, and they did so without once rationalizing Trump's lies or minimizing his sins. See, I think that's one argument. Yeah. I think another argument is I'm not rationalizing, I'm not minimizing, and I'm not voting for the lesser of evils. I actually think he's a capable businessman. I didn't make that calculation in 2016. I did make that calculation in 2020. That was not a lesser of evils. That was actually a your presidency wasn't a train wreck, and if you gave me four more years of that, I think we're going to be doing pretty well. That was my 2020 calculation. There was a track record to look at. That's different from what he's assuming here. They were, unfortunately, not the norm. And the reason why provides an explanation, not just for the actions of Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, and Matt Gates. which by the way, this article has a whole bunch of examples of them speaking a little mm-hmm. roughly, mm-hmm. which again, I don't have a big problem with from politicians because I'm a, I'm a truth and honesty guy, and if you think truth and honesty is offensive, that's a you problem. 
Right. If you <clears throat> see, we like to make this idea that our politics are supposed to be civil and understated. Favorite political story. You ready? Here okay, it is. Here we go. Winston Churchill, 1940s, 1950s. You know that genteel calm time is sitting in Parliament, and British Parliament is weird yeah. because they are literally seated by faction, and it's a free for all. So, like, if someone gets up to make a speech, it is perfectly acceptable and expected that you will heckle them and insult them during their speech. Right. Like, you have to be able to think on your feet and make arguments. It's actually kind of interesting sometimes. Yeah, I've seen so a couple. So, apparently, the, 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 and I don't know how much of this is apocryphal, but I don't care because this is one of those stories that I demand to be true, therefore it is. Okay. All right. <laughs> I have decided. So, apparently, Churchill is speaking, and um, this uh, this woman is sitting there. I don't know if she's a member of parliament, what she is, but she's over there, and she finally yells out, You're drunk! <clears throat> to which Churchill pauses and goes, Yes, ma'am. I am. But in the morning, I shall be sober, and you will still be ugly. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to laugh at that. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> now, that was the 1940s. The 1950s. You mean to tell me politics was once upon a time cordial? You do realize that in this country, we have had politicians duel. Right. That pre-Civil War, there was actually a local congressman from South Carolina who beat almost to death another congressman and went back. Which one was that? Oh, I cannot remember his name, but he's from South, congressman from South Carolina. That's funny. Um, tried to, I mean, literally beat an abolitionist politician almost to death. Mm-hmm. And when he went back to his um, his district, they like all voted for him again, and like he wasn't arrested. I mean, <laughs> he was a hero then, huh? Yeah. I mean, this is like not unusual in our history. To- I think that's. The, I think this is a product of 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 people in this country forgetting the history of our country so, and how we came up. So you mean to tell me that yeah. people literally beating each other and shooting at each other was more cordial than he said a no no word? Right. That's a little ridiculous. This understanding that well, politics is coarse now. Politics has always been coarse. Yeah. Because it's about power, and power corrupts people, and it changes the way you think, and it changes the way you talk, and it's always been coarse and corrupt, which is why you should be careful when you enter into it, Christian, and you should be careful how much you allow it to influence you, because Mm. it slowly corrupts you as well. Right. So, the actions of countless angry Christians in the age of Trump, including to people you know, fathers, mothers, uncles, and aunts, see, that that, that dad you have who's been radicalized by Fox News, Mm -hmm. see, it wasn't like this before Trump. What? Yes, it was. It was. Yes, it was. Oh, yes. Don't give me this. Yeah. They were, I'm sorry, many millions of Republicans aren't just Republicans on election day. They're Republicans every day. And Donald Trump placed everyday Republicans in a constant dilemma. Did you point it out even when he did evil things? Or did you mainly remain silent, trusting in the notion that no matter how bad Trump was, his opponents were worse? See, how dare you not hate him as much as I do? Right. How dare you not be as offended by him? as I am. Do you see what happens when your second and third level issues become primary? Right. When your subjective analysis becomes objective truth. Right. This is important, Christian, because this is not standing on wisdom or standing on a foundation that is Christ. Right. This is... This is not using the same standard that you that is you are judged by to judge others. This is the exact opposite of Matthew 7. Or, even worse... 
did the tension between Trump's actions and your own morality grow so great that you started to redefine morality itself? How many people made the migration from, from, from supporting Trump in spite of his character to supporting him because of who he was? I can think of countless folks in both public and private life. Now, you ready for this? This mm. is where this is where you're probably sitting here wondering, why did you read that section in Matthew 7 and spend all of that time going over it? We haven't talked about it once yet. We weren't there yet. Mm-hmm. Here we are. Christian, if you have Christian friends that are redefining morality in favor of their favorite political candidate, they're not Christians. There it is. They are ravenous wolves disguised as sheep. They are saying, Lord, Lord, did we not? And he is saying, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. This is not a redefining of the church. This is a redefining of people. And that's, again, I've said this before um, here, where I've said COVID was a great revealer. And politically speaking, Trump was as well. Mm-hmm. Because it brought so many true people's selves out. Yeah. Who they were at their core. Yeah. You know, the, the faux Republican or the faux conservative who I just can't abide by that. So now you support Democrats? That doesn't make any sense. Or the Democrats who are like, well, you know, those Republicans are nice guys, but not that one. So now you're a communist? Like, that doesn't make any sense. It, it pushed people to extremes. If you were pushed to an extreme, it's because you didn't have an anchor that held in the storm. It is because your foundation was shifting underneath you and you could not stand firm and you were tossed here and there by every wind and wave of doctrine. In other words, your heart was revealed in the struggle. This is Christianity at work. This is what it looks like in a fallen world. This is what it looks like east of Eden. You are going to have trials and tribulations and struggles and difficulties, and you're going to have to make hard decisions, and you are going to have to evaluate things that are not cut and dry, that are not black and white, and you're going to have to make moral calculations, and you're going to have mm-hmm. to do so based on Scripture. Yeah, yeah. That's what and I was going to say. And if you can't based do it based on foundation. Scripture— If you can't do it on the firm foundation, that is not a failure of God. That is not a failure of Scripture. That is a failure of you. Mm -hmm. And if you are failing on that level, it is because you do not have the Son, Mm -hmm. and you therefore do not have the Father. So you do not have the guiding of the Spirit. You are not capable of making sanctified decisions. You are in a dangerous place. Yeah, you're a double-minded person who's unstable in all their ways. There it is. Yeah. Now, this becomes... The place where I think stuff like this is so dangerous and why Christian you have to be careful you have to be very wary because I'm, I'm hitting to the end of this so we live in a world that just doesn't stop yeah it just it just doesn't stop ever it keeps pushing and it keeps digging and it keeps trying to undermine even to the point where oh yeah you voted for blank you support X, Y, or Z, well, that must mean that dot, 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 dot. Wasn't this what the the rainbow flag crowd did? Mm. You don't support our marriage. You must be a bigot. Oh, you think wives should submit to their husbands. You must be a misogynist. You must be the patriarchy. You must hate women. You must be, insert insult here. Oh, you don't believe in systemic racism. You must be a racist, Klansman. Mm-hmm. Isn't isn't it? Oh, you voted for Trump. You must be excusing of his morality. You must think it's okay what he did. You must think that 
you know, this affair was okay or is sleeping with that person, you must assume that's all good and well. Now. Yeah, they're always on the personal attack. And I think that's, a, well, it's definitely a logical fallacy. And and we shouldn't we shouldn't start a conversation by impugning another person's character or morality. Well, because again, this is the standard by which you judge is a standard that you will be judged. Exactly. What's your standard, Christian? Your standard is that you are broken and that you are reassembled, not in your wisdom, but in Christ's. Right. You are put back together, not by your accomplishment, but by Christ's. Right. Therefore, what's their hope? Stop assuming right. everything and stop letting the world assume of you. Right. I, I think a lot of this is, is calculated and divisive, and I think they're trying to to divide our nation, and because so many of us who call ourselves Christians don't base our worldviews off of the scriptures, the rock and the foundation that we should be living on, I think sometimes we get caught up into this, these arguments, and they profit nothing. And at the end of the day, yeah. we're arguing about secondary, tertiary yeah. things, we're killing each other over it, right. and we're allowing our Christianity to be defined by the world. Right. Can't happen. Right. The only, the only way I see our country being better is more people are discipled for Christ. Yes. That's the only way. Not if we get the best president or whatever. We pass all the laws. People who are lawless do not abide by laws. Laws do not <laughs> change that, anything. It's amazing how that works. Right. It's right. criminals don't respect laws. Who'd have thunk that one? Right. At the end of the day, now this is again why I say, now what do you do with this, Christian? Right. Okay. Watch your diet. What are you consuming? Why are you consuming that thing? Is it good for you? How is it leading you? How is it strengthening you? I didn't tell you not to be informed. I didn't tell you not to pay attention to what's going on. I told you to be careful right. to evaluate what you're doing, to evaluate why you're doing what you're doing. Because at the end of the day, isn't that the goal in all this? What's the cure for this complaint from David French? The cure is to say, well, that's not what I did. Mm-hmm. How, how dare you assume that every Christian has done that? And how dare you assume that every person who's done that is a Christian? No. There's the fruit. You've pointed out bad fruit. What you've pointed out then is that not that Christians are producing bad fruit, but that pagans are producing bad fruit. Bad trees are producing bad fruit. Mm-hmm. And stop assuming that every Christian who has walked it because of a different calculation to do an act is walking in line with the pagans. Right. In other words, think through rightly. So is there anybody we haven't offended today? <laughs> I don't know. we got a pretty good list going there. I mean, we can start again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we could. So what have we learned here today, children? We must define ourselves rightly. Right. We must define the world rightly. And we cannot allow the world to be what defines us. Ah, be not conformed. It's amazing yeah. how these things continue to come together, isn't it? Right. So, uh, be careful out there. It is a broken place doing broken things in broken ways. And until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye. Bye.